This is the MLW Radio Network. Hey, this is former WWE superstar and ECW original, The Blue Meanie. And Josh Chernoff. And uh, we're excited to announce that Mind of the Meanie is now powered by the MLW Radio Network. Myself and Josh Chernoff will bring you a show every week where we talk about everything from wrestling, movies, sports, and useless knowledge. But most importantly, we have a great group of neighbors there with front row material. Absolutely. Front row material. We've got Mike Freeland. We've got Mikey Whipwreck. And we have got hashtag... This is Jerry Lynn. You're welcome again for that. I love to be here with you guys. I'm glad to call you neighbor. Maybe I'll stop over for uh, some extra coffee or a cup of sugar or have a slice of dropped pie. Ditto. Please tune into Mind and the Meanie. Please keep supporting Front Row Material and we'll be a part of this great MLW radio network. Everybody, welcome to Overbooked with Mike Freeland. Welcome to another episode of Overbooked. My name is Mike Freeland. During this show, we chronicle the extremely unauthorized story of ECW. We are now on to chapter 14. A lot of things happening in chapter 14. In fact, this one is entitled WWF versus ECW. So getting right in here. One of the well-known fans of ECW, his name was John Bailey, he was known as Hat Guy. He said the talent losses had become obvious, even to the most loyal of ECW fans. He's quoted by saying, We realized it was bad when they started raiding talent. ECW started to lose a lot of heavy hitters all at once. Now the losses started mounting up, especially when the WWF debuted their pay-per-view, A Cold Day in Hell, in May of 97. That was the night Charles Skaggs, also known to ECW fans as Flash Funk or Too Cold Scorpio, made his appearance in a losing to Hunter Hearst Helmsley. However, every other match except for one included a former ECW star. Now, during that time, ECW was still trying to find ways to entertain their die-hard fans. So, Stevie Richards, who is known for his parodies, came up with an idea which was only intended to last one night, but it was to poke fun at WCW. He came up with the concept of the Blue World Order. So, many of you are familiar with the Blue World Order. It is a parody of the New World Order. In his version, Stevie Richards would be Stevie Cool, a knockoff of NWO's leader Kevin Nash, or Big Daddy Cool. The Blue Meanie would reprise the character of Scott Hall, as he would say, say hello to the blue guy. And Nova would become Hollywood Nova, wearing a weight belt and fake stubble that still looked more real than the stuff Hulk Hogan was wearing on Monday Nitro. Now, when we talk about the seeds being planted in the feud of the WWF and ECW, they go back as early as 1996. At that time, WWF was running a pay-per-view called Mind Games, and that was happening in Philadelphia. Lawler decided that he was going to challenge any 
of the ECW Stars to a match. And in May of 97, he made that challenge. Now, a few weeks later, on June 7th of 97, Tommy Dreamer appeared on Lawler's Memphis television programming and on behalf of ECW officially accepted his challenge. Now, that night, Lawler had an answer to Dreamer when he showed up to ECW's Wrestlepalooza 97. Dreamer had just beaten Raven for the first time to cap off their 30-month feud. The match was Raven's last before he was off to WCW. As Raven exited the ring, the ECW loyalists chanted, You sold out. And shortly after Dreamer enjoyed his victory, the lights went out. When the lights came back on, Bill Alfonso and Rob Van Dam were in the ring. Rob Van Dam was wearing a Monday Night Raw shirt, and they were continuing to put the boots to the recently victorious Tommy Dreamer. But then, the lights went out a second time. When they came back up, it was Bill Alfonso and Sabu who had joined the fray, and they were also putting the boots to Tommy Dreamer. The lights would go out for a third and final time, and what would happen? Jerry Lawler. He would appear, he would take the microphone, cut a promo, and continue to put the boots onto Tommy Dreamer. To keep the angle looking as real as possible, Paul Heyman made a rare appearance on the pay-per-view, ran in to save Tommy Dreamer. However, he got beat down as well. Now, as we mentioned that Raven was leaving for WCW, he would then make his debut on Monday Nitro and then begin to reprise the character and build up a stable around him known as the Ravens flock. Now, it was ECW's chance to invade the WWF the following week on Raw. Rob Van Dam finally beat Two Cold Scorpio, now known as Flash Funk, and ECW stars began a three-week stint on the WWF program. However, WWF management soured on the idea of Rob Van Dam and Sabu, particularly because of what they believed was a perceived attitude problem in the way they worked. Now, originally, the plan was for Sabu and Rob Van Dam to go against Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman at SummerSlam 97. However, WWF decided to scrap those plans. On the June 29th show, ECW presented Orgy of Violence reached a dangerous level for one of the talent. After another Lawler attack, wherein he... And a new person joined in the fray, Jim Cornette, who was at that time a full-time WWF employee, started beating Dreamer down before Dreamer had to be rushed to the hospital to get fluid drained from one of his testicles. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why did Jim Cornette agree to appear on an ECW show? Well, Cornette's appearance that night was contingent upon Paul Heyman's willingness to publicly apologize to Dennis Corluzzo over the 1994 incident with Shane Douglas and what he did to the NWA title. At that time, Corluzzo and Cornette were good friends. Obviously, Cornette had deep ties that ran with the NWA and wanted Heyman to apologize. Well, the apology didn't happen backstage as Cornette had wanted. It happened in a car ride to the building and it was also contingent upon Corluzzo being allowed to use ECW stars on their nights off. However, Paul Heyman did not end up agreeing to that. Now, behind the scenes, Paul Heyman regularly went on his, what is called as Fuck Vince speeches, as part of his pre-show motivational addresses to the ECW locker room. 
But by 1997, many of the wrestlers were no longer buying it. However, rumors that Heyman had been working with Vince McMahon behind the scenes became very prevalent in the locker room. Although most of the wrestlers refused to believe it, in 1997, however, one ECW wrestler said he and a few others had found solid proof that Heyman was on the WWF payroll. And how did they know? They all got together in a room, locked the door, and made a phone call to Titan Towers, which is the name of WWE's corporate headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. They asked for Paul Heyman. The WWF operator very kindly transferred them to Paul Heyman's voicemail. One ECW star remembered sitting in an ECW office with Heyman and a couple other performers when the telephone rang. It was Vince McMahon. Heyman had him on speakerphone. Heyman quickly hushed everyone in the room. McMahon asked if Heyman was alone, and without any hesitation, Paul said yes. McMahon wanted more ECW stars. Specifically, he wanted Terry Gordy. Gordy's career had made a resurgence, but he also wanted Doug Furness and Phil LaFon. McMahon also said he wanted Too Cold Scorpio. But therein was the problem. Heyman told McMahon that it wasn't the fact that he had an issue with letting him go. However, he had a deal already worked out with Tommy Boy Records, where they were having commercials played on ECW television because they were the ones that had generated Too Cold's theme song. It was $1,000 a week, and Heyman told McMahon that that was money that ECW needed badly. Well, McMahon wanted Scorpio bad enough that he started paying him $1,000 a week to make up for the lost revenue. But the money was not a salary for Paul or any kind of payment to him personally. It was money to help make up for the lost revenue. However, many people still believe that it was a clear sign and indication that Paul was working for Vince. Well, McMahon decided that he wanted to expand his television programming. And in 97, he once again reached out to Paul Heyman to help him find a way to start a Saturday night television show. The show would be called Shotgun Saturday Night, and it was clearly inspired by ECW. From the lighting, from the technical aspects, the producing, it had that gritty New York look to it. Heyman had agreed that he would introduce Vince to some of the nightclub owners inside New York City. Heyman actually did work for Studio 54 before he got into professional wrestling, but there was a caveat to this. Heyman wanted them to air ECW commercials for their next pay-per-view during Shotgun Saturday Night. Vince said yes and began airing ECW commercials. However, Vince still wanted more. He even wanted Paul to go ahead and be the announcer for Shotgun Saturday Night, one in which Paul defiantly said no. Well, if things weren't exciting enough at that point, ECW actually had some more positive things going for them. Despite the mass exodus and Vince McMahon raiding their talent, ECW hit a milestone. During this period of time, they drew their biggest record crowd ever of 2,000 fans. The record came from a show on August 2nd in 97 in Pennsylvania. The main event pitted ECW champion Terry Funk wrestling as a heel that night, against hometown hero Shane Douglas. We finally get to Hardcore Heaven 1997. The show was emanating from Fort Lauderdale, which was besieged by problems from the get-go, ranging from lighting and production glitches to a very weird, goofy skit that had the Sandman commandeering an ambulance and searching 
for the War Memorial Auditorium. Now, the highlight of that pay-per-view in terms of emotion was Tommy Dreamer's long-built match with Jerry Lawler. Unfortunately, with ECW, with the good comes the bad. The low point was Mustafa not appearing, meaning the Gangstas, which were the tag team champions at the time, had to forfeit their titles to the Dudley Boys, who then promptly defeated PG-13 for their first title defense. Now, Mustafa's disappearance was not his own idea. Friction between the gangsters came to a head before the show. Each man thought he was the one carrying the team. The conflict reached a boiling point. Heyman decided that he needed to choose. One would stay, but one must go. Mustafa was perfectly competent in the ring and didn't have any issues, but New Jack was clearly the one who had the charisma and personality. Heyman's choice was not a particularly difficult. Also that night, Shane Douglas won the Hardcore Haven main event, capturing the title over Sebu and Terry Funk. Now, Dreamer defeated Lawler once and for all, ending the feud between the two companies. ECW was triumphant over the WWF, but the big winner in the whole deal was the WWF. While WCW was beating McMahon in the ratings on Monday nights, McMahon was ultimately triumphing through a combination of acquisitions of ECW, starting off with Steve Austin, then going to Mick Foley, and then obviously later with creating the character of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's many believe within the wrestling industry that Heyman working with Vince McMahon, obviously acquiring ECW talent as well, also using Heyman's creative ideas, was ultimately what led to the Attitude era. So that's the chapter. A lot of things been going on here. So we're, you know, we're in 1996. We crest into 97. McMahon is raiding ECW. They agree to work with each other. They show up on each other's shows. Uh, McMahon agrees to allow Lawler to appear on ECW programming. Obviously, it's going to help boost ECW's ratings and hopefully sell some more pay-per-views. But in turn, he's going to end up getting in trade uh, some more talent. So what's your take on the whole situation? Do you think Paul was working under the WWF umbrella the entire time? Do you believe that what a lot of people believe, including Tommy Dreamer, that Paul was on the take the whole time? Or do you believe what the book says and that the $1,000 a week had nothing to do with Vince trying to financially support ECW? However, it was more so on the contractual agreement to pay the money that ECW lost with Tommy Boy Records. What are your thoughts? Do you think that it was true that Paul Heyman did have an office and a voicemail set up at Titan Towers? Do you believe that story? You know, the funny thing about wrestling, specifically when it comes to ECW, is there's a lot of lore. There's a lot of these stories that come out. And some of them, I'll be honest, you guys, you can believe. Some of them are kind of hard to believe. You know, did Paul really want to work for WWF? In my opinion, he did not. I think Paul was extremely loyal to the ECW brand, but he was a businessman and he knew that he had to do something to keep his brand alive. And sometimes, unfortunately, you have to do things you don't want to do to keep the ship afloat. And I think he looked at the relationship with the WWF, kind of like the relationship he did with WCW. As you know what, maybe I can get a rub from them. Maybe people from their audience base can start watching our programming. Maybe that can give us the boost that we need. Maybe that can get us over the hump. 
Or maybe some people think that Paul really just wanted to use ECW as a launch pad to get his career going even further somewhere else after ECW was through. Who knows? All I can tell you is we are going to be jumping into chapter 15 next. It's called The Split and Other Farewells. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Like I had mentioned earlier, if you are wanting to continue this conversation, hit me up on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Mike Freeland, all together, M-I-K-E-F-R-E-L-A-N-D. Be more than happy to answer your questions. If you'd like to go in more depth on maybe a portion of the chapter that uh, you found to be interesting, hit me up with DMs. My DMs are always open. All right, guys, um, this coming Wednesday, we have another big episode of Front Row Material. Please do us a big favor. Don't forget to go ahead and give us some feedback on iTunes. You leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I will read the review as well, and I will give you a shout-out. That's going to do it for this episode of Overbooked. Once again, the extremely unauthorized story of ECW. My name is Mike Freeland, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, this is former WWE superstar and ECW original, The Blue Meanie. And Josh Chernoff. And uh, we're excited to announce that Mind of the Meanie is now powered by the MLW Radio Network. Myself and Josh Chernoff will bring you a show every week where we talk about everything from wrestling, movies, sports, and useless knowledge. But most importantly, we have a great group of neighbors there with Front Row Material. Absolutely. Front Row Material. We've got Mike Freeland. We've got Mikey Whipwreck. And we have got hashtag... This is Jerry Lynn. You're welcome again for that. I love to be here with you guys. I'm glad to call you neighbor. Maybe I'll stop over for uh, some extra coffee or a cup of sugar or have a slice of dropped pie. Ditto. Please tune into Mind and the Meanie. Please keep supporting Front Row Material and we'll be a part of this great MLW radio network. Blue, 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 blue world order. The world of MLW.